When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast brought to you by DraftKings. NBA Finals going on. That means you put in five bucks, you get $150 in free plays if you're a new customer. Doesn't matter who wins. Now, joined by somebody who does have a stake and I think is rooting for a team in this, Kevin O'Neill, a.k.a. Matt Newellbach. <laughs> Hello, Matt. What's up, Luke? How you doing, buddy? Not too bad. First of all, you had a fun past weekend. Fill the folks in on what Matt Newellbach gets to do during the offseason. Oh man, I've been uh, I've been uh, luckily my daughter, uh, one of, both my daughters decided to play volleyball as opposed to basketball. Right. And and in addition to that, they play beach volleyball. So I've been the last few weekends in Hermosa Beach, Santa Monica, uh, Huntington Beach, you name it, on the on the beach volleyball circuit for for high school kids. So it's been fun. Okay. All right. Now let's talk a little bit of Warriors basketball here. And for the longest time, and you and I have talked about this before, but I wanted to get back into this a little bit. <clears throat> One of my biggest pet peeves in all of sports is when somebody says, well, they should be able to win a championship. Look how talented they are or this, that, and the other. And yeah. I think Steve Kerr heard that. Steve Kerr heard that quite a bit, which was insane because it's not like Steve Kerr got to the Warriors and they had already won four championships. This was a team that was you know, with all due respect to Mark Jackson, they were essentially going 44 and 38, something like that all see every year. Steve Kerr takes over. They start winning the 70 games, w winning championships. So first, and you played on a very talented team in 1988, 89. You've got to be a good coach to win as well there, Matt, even with the talent. Yeah. I mean, you know, Kerr, Kerr's done an amazing job. And I, I think um, where I would start with him, what he's done is he's done it since day one with the Warriors is the culture, you know, and, and what he did there um, really brought in an amazing culture. You know, they had a <clears throat> they had Mike, they had like a vision or a strategy about how they were going to play. Right. Um, and it had nothing to do with X's and O's, even though people talk about that a lot. And it was about, you know, how they play together, how they play with joy, um, you know, the teamwork they play with. And so, you know, you've seen that over the years and, you know, people forget the last couple of years, they didn't make the playoffs. Right. Um, you know, they had guys that are, you know, obviously an aging superstar and Steph, an injured and aging superstar in, in play. 
um, you know, trying to get all these new guys that had no championship DNA. And, you know, I think a lot of this year is, is the work that he did the last two years um, and, and did it under the tough circumstances because people were expecting every year for them to be in the finals. They weren't, they were getting a little bit of grief for that. I remember he told me one time, you know, I get, I, I don't get paid to coach or when I was playing, I didn't get paid to play. I get paid for after the game for dealing with, you know, right, right, the, right. the hassles after and, and and the criticisms and stuff for that, like that, but incredible job with their culture and, and continuing to, you know, try to get better. And, you know, they made some moves the last couple of years. Some of them worked, some of them didn't w look at what he's done on the development with, with Wiggins. I mean, right. that's, that's off the charts, what they've done there. Um, people forget too, this Warriors team is not vintage Warriors. Um, right. they got, they got two guys in the starting lineup that don't shoot at all. Can't, right. can't, you know, they don't make shots over, you know, two, three feet or layups or dunks. So 60% of their team is shooters, but 40% when they, when they start, you know, so they're playing off of that. You have, you have teams like, I know you're a big Luca fan. Mm -hmm. I mean, you became a big Luca fan I too. Did. You, 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 I mean, not that I didn't know he was a good player, no, but you turned me on to how good he was and, right. and how ridiculously good he is. And, you know, he just goes pick and roll. Um, you know, not that Jason kid did a good job too, but, you know, pick and roll, they have shooters everywhere. They put them on the perimeter and uh, Kerr doesn't have that. I mean, they're playing old school running off pin downs and right. you know, screens and, you know, all kinds of different actions. And so he, he deserves to be coach of the year this year, like, like by a mile, I think. I would totally agree with that. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the spacing that they have, which I think is absolutely insane. Just watching from an outsider point of view, they're the, maybe the one team in the league that you have to cover essentially every spot within the half court setting. Everybody cuts, everybody moves. You've got a guy like Steph Curry, who is one of the greatest shooters, but also one of the better underrated one-on-one -on -one players. And the ball never sticks. And in this yeah. ISO era of three-point shots, getting yours, it's really unique there, Matt. It, it really is. Yeah. And, you know, um, I think it was, was it, was it Johnny Bach that used to say, you know, you need to make it was Johnny Bach. I know that quote you're going with too. It's like, you need to make a decision within like, like literally less than a half a second. And right. A decision is, are you going to shoot it? You're going to pass it. Are you going to drive it? And um, those guys do a great job of that. You know what I love? Watch Wiggins tonight when Wiggins is on the wing. I think he does as good a job as anybody in this in the league. When someone gets it at the block, like Clay will post up or even Looney or someone like that, you know, he dives to the to the lane. He dives to the rim and he gets two or three buckets a game like that. And, and it's because he doesn't stand and, you know, he moves, but moving toward the rim. And I remember I remember one of the great quotes of Lute, you know, for four years playing with him and he would he would yell in that lute voice and deep and kind of, you know, a little bit angry, like move. And that was his, he would right. say it, you know, 10, 15 times a game. And that's, that's, I, I can probably, Steve probably hears that in the back of his mind and his team really, like you said, they just move constantly. What I look at, when I look at obviously, cause Steve Kerr, if there's a player out there that has played for better coaches, I would love to know who that Crazy. is. 
from right. Luke to Phil to Greg Popovich. You know what I I sense though? I sense a little bit of uh, Popovich. I sense a, I sense a little bit of Phil Jackson in. And the Phil Jackson part is how he is able to get everybody going towards that one vision, which is a right. big part when you're dealing with grown men. <clears throat> the Popovich part though, that I think is maybe a little bit underrated here, is how Popovich was able to extend that Spurs window. Everybody thought that it was closing when Duncan, Ginobili, Parker get older. You bring in Kawhi. Those guys are still doing their thing, but they're doing it at about 80% of what they're doing. Kawhi takes a bigger role. You see that now with Jordan Poole. The way that he's able to utilize the roster, but also elongate these guys' careers, I think is something that goes under the radar there, Matt. Yeah, no, that's – and I think a couple of things. I think that goes back to culture, right? I mean, you have that continuous thread of culture throughout every every team, and and it's a, it's a – you know, as they said, you know, championship DNA. Right. Um, and you see that in some of their games where they maybe almost shouldn't win and they, right. and they, they eke them out. But, you know, I think, you know, pop, Steve told me a couple of things that pop does that I think Steve takes from him. One is he coaches players very differently. And, you know, Steve, you know, talked to me about, you know, coaching uh, uh, Tony Parker, how he right. could just ride him and ride him and ride him like, like Kevin O'Neill. Right, somebody, and and but Kawhi, Kawhi, he would not ride at all because he didn't take it like like Tony did. It was a different, right. well, just different personality, and so he was incredibly good at understanding the buttons to push for each player, and um, and I think you know, and Pop evolved when Kerr first got to San Antonio. They ran a pretty simple offense. Mm-hmm. Pop really evolved. They put Sean and the Elliot in the corner. They'd kind of go pick and roll with Duncan, put Timmy in the high post. Um, they really evolved into this, into kind of a motion. They ran a lot of really cool plays. Um, and I think I think Steve took that. The other thing he took from Pop, and I was actually at a game that it was one of Steve's last games in San Antonio that he ever played. A bunch of friends went out there to, to mm-hmm. watch him and kind of, you know, celebrate his last right. season. And, <clears throat> and they had lost the night before. And the next day we were actually in the facility, the practice facility. They had just practiced and we were playing like one. Actually, I was playing, we were playing 21 with a friend of mine, Craig Reeves, that played football at U of A and Bruce Frazier, who was not even working with Steve at the time. And now he's <laughs> his assistant. Right. We were goofing around. And Steve was saying that, you know, Pop came in that day and was like, hey, hey, we lost. No big deal. Like there's a lot bigger things in the world. There's things going on that, you know, in the country, in the nation, in the, you know, in the world that are way bigger than a, a loss. And I think the perspective, you know, that Steve has as a coach, some of these coaches, man, they get so wrapped up. They have no, no other perspective on anything. And I think Steve has great perspective. So I think that keeps his team pretty calm through the through the ups and downs. You know what? I think he does an excellent job as well. And again, this is just me. Uh, this is just me observing. I'm not talking <laughs> to Steve like the guy over to my, uh, well, my left, your right, depending on how. I think he does an amazing job of putting guys into their roles. Now, you brought yeah. up Andrew Wiggins earlier. I want to talk about this, and this is not meant to be demeaning because, again, I'm sitting here doing a podcast with an A behind my back. <laughs> Andrew Wiggins is worth over $150 million. So, But Andrew Wiggins always had the knock of being a very athletic guy that was was never really able to find his role. Mentally is not the term that I'm going for, but you you know what yes. his, what his role was. When I look at what he does now, the Warriors, I think, and again, I'm not, the Warriors were able to simplify and be able to get the best out of Wiggins by saying, all right, 
you're going to be a lockdown defender. That's 50% of your job right here. You're, you're athletically gifted enough to get the other person's wing. Draymond can help you, but that's going to be your role. You get a couple dribbles on offense to be able to slash. You're going to slash off cuts. You're going to shoot open shots. And lo and behold, you get a fringe all-star that's turned into a winning basketball player. So a lot of times, I think guys get hit with the label that, oh, well, they just don't understand basketball. And sometimes they don't. But it also helps when you've got a coach like Steve Kerr and you get out of a place like Minnesota that is able to show you exactly what you need to do at that specific time. Because keep in mind, a guy like Wiggins played for Bill Self for one year. He's essentially yeah. been in the NBA or the AAU circuit his entire life. Yeah, no question. Who's who's the the guy they had the lefty last year? DeAndre Lowe Russell. Um, no, the other Before. lefty. The, the oh the, Kelly Oubre. Kelly yeah, Oubre. Kelly Oubre. And I think I think Steve probably recognized they couldn't like it didn't work with both of them because they right. were both sort of wing slashers, really athletic guys. You know, they traded Oubre, and you're right. I think what they did with Wig is they they and I think Steve really coached up his like you said his IQ on the court mm -hmm. and and but but simplified it made it super right. simple. You do these three or four things. Whereas a guy like, like Andre Iguodala, maybe the smartest basketball player to ever play in the NBA. Like, right. He, he is, he coaches him different, I think. And, and Andre, of course, obviously a little bit aging and still has got a little bit of that, that spring right. and that, and that wiggle as you he, like. He showed say. a little bit of a hop that first game. He did. Yep. Right. Yep. But, but you know, wig is like crazy top of the mm -hmm. line athletic has that jumper now. Um, and you're right. And I think Steve learned all that by being a role player himself in the NBA. I mean, his right. was, his was obviously as a shooter, but Phil Jackson used, he, Steve said he used to always put Steve in like with about two minutes to go in the first quarter. Mm -hmm. And so he'd put him in, it was kind of that, that little two minute stretch. They'd have a timeout. He'd play another, you know, little minute stretch. And he said he used to put him in a lot at end of quarters, you know, spread the floor, put in a three point shooter, and so Steve was always ready. He was right. he knew like, even if my role was to come in for, even if in some games, if he came in for 10 seconds at the end of the first, second or third, that, I mean, that was a role. Right. And so I think he, he saw what Phil did with those guys with Judd Bushler um, and Steve's unbelievable. How, and the other thing too, like Steve trusts guys at the end of the bench, he puts them in, he puts them in big spots. They haven't played like you get a guy like Kaminga that hasn't maybe mm -hmm. played. And all of a sudden he's starting in one game because of a guy being out or something. Right. Um, so he's, he's, he's pretty, he's, he's not afraid. He is not afraid. He's, he had, he had enough fear with playing players at, at different times. One of my favorite Steve Kerr quotes was, and again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it here because I'm not going to get this exactly, but he starts coaching the Warriors. And obviously, this we talked about it before, he wanted to come in with a far more open approach because you've got to the two best shooters ever. And I don't know if it was your guy, Bruce Frazier, or it was one of the assistants because um, Steve Kerr was getting on Steph a little bit for pulling up and shooting 40-foot shots or you know <laughs> wherever it was. And I think it was Bruce Frazier who said, um, or and Steve was quoting him and said, you know, we've charted all the shots because they chart everything in practice. Right. And he says 52% of the shots that you've gotten on Steph Curry for shooting, he's made or something. <laughs> and you know, it was just, and again, I wasn't quite what that was, but that was the essence of it. And then Steve, uh, Steve Kerr says, that's kind of when I knew that I just had to let these guys go. Right. And you've got to, it's like you said, you've got to be able to coach people differently. I always go back to the Bill Parcells quote when they would say, 
why do you scream at Phil Sims and you let Lawrence Taylor, you know, stay out until two in the morning, yeah. you know, on Coke binges? And he said, <laughs> because Lawrence Taylor isn't going to handle that the same way that Phil Sims right. is going to handle it. Right. That's just the way. I want to talk to you a little bit about the scouting and about the end of the bench that you uh, brought up here. But first, DraftKings Sportsbook app, code word PHNX. Matt Mulebach and I have been talking all season. I've been, I said that I thought the Heat were going to win it all. It was a valiant effort. But you know what? I fell short. You know, it happened. So you, if you think that Mike Luke's an idiot, hop on the DraftKings Sportsbook app and say, Mike likes the Warriors to win this. I'm going to go with the Celtics. You just got to be 21 and up, Arizona only. Gambling problem, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Again, you put in five bucks, get $150 in free plays as long as that game happens. All right, Matt, you mentioned the end of the bench. I think it's a very interesting key here. And this is something that Luke did as well. And I, I bring this up quite often. I always kind of harken back to... Uh, uh, when Jason Terry was a freshman and um, Lute started sneaking him in towards in, in important games towards the end of the games. I want to go, I want to say that Washington came to town when JT was a freshman and JT's averaging, you know, five, six minutes a game. JT goes off for 23, 24 points. He gets a few minutes the rest of the season. Lo and behold, he's starting next year with miles out ineligible. I get the sense that Steve Kerr is doing much of the same thing with a Kaminga with a Moody Guys mm -hmm. like that that you know are going to have a bigger role next year, you can't really have them in for major minutes, but you want to get their feet wet. And I think that's going to do them an incredible amount of good for next year. Yeah, I do too. I mean, it's it's uh you you gotta you gotta you gotta have like now, but you also gotta look to the future, right? And right. Like, you gotta be able to give those guys the the superstars minutes that are getting a little older. You mentioned something about Steve, and I was just it just hit me. <clears throat> about the coaches he played for. And mm -hmm. I actually think he played for six Hall of Fame coaches. So if you go through it, it's Lute, mm -hmm. uh, it's Cotton Fitzsimmons. With okay. The right. It's um, it's uh, uh, Lenny Wilkins with the Cavs. That's right. He did play for Lenny. It, it was it was uh, Phil and Pop. That's five. Mm -hmm. And then I think the sixth is, uh, is it is it uh, Johnny Bach? Uh, right. Wow. Maybe You're right. He played for I, and Has three of the top fifteen coaches of all time, along with him in there. Right, right. I mean, I don't. I mean, it's and and obviously he's played with probably the greatest player of all time. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he's coaching one of the, he's coaching the greatest shooter of all time. I Coach mean, probably the greatest team of all time. You and I were talking right. about that the other day. Coach the greatest team of all time. Played on the other greatest team. Right. That's, those are the two arguments on the two right. greatest team. Played on one, coached on the other. His connections and and what he has done and like been involved with it, it's almost second to none like it's right. I, I mean they I, I if they did them like you know the last dance I think I've watched it now I'm, I'm probably going on about seven <laughs> and it's eight. still on Netflix too I'm, so I keep watching it too I'm watching it I watch it constantly <laughs> right they need to do like a and he he's gonna hate me for saying this but they need to do like a 10 episode thing on just Steve like the right the one episode on him and, you know, just the, you know, it's obviously the stuff with his dad that was really tough and, yeah. but just to, you know, the shot he made and everything. I mean, it, it's just, it's amazing. And he's got, he's got way more stories than that um, with, with the bulls, the, 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 uh, the warriors, obviously the Spurs, et cetera. When you, cause you obviously you played with Steve for three, you were all, you, well, you shared the same roster with him for four years, correct? No, no, I was only one. I was here. In no, 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 excuse me. I'm getting all, I'm getting Sean, I'm yeah. getting him and Sean, you and Sean mixed up. My bad. Yeah. Sorry. I was yeah, going yeah. through my yeah. nose. That's, that's not a bad person to be mixed up no. with, right? Um, no, no, it was just one year. 
right for sure. So he comes back from his he comes back from his knee injury. You're on eight. You're on uh, 87, 88. What were your expect? How did he deal with that? Because again, you only shared the one year with him, but this was a this was an injury at the time that a lot of people thought was a career ender. You're not coming back from that. Not only does he come back from that, he's a second team All American, puts up one of the most efficient seasons. And uh, was that just part of his demeanor that was able to get him through that? Yeah, I don't know how he did it. You're actually your boy Kevin O'Neill. When I came on a recruiting trip. <clears throat> he looked over and said to me, I said, he said, are you ready to play next year? I said, why? He's like, well, Kerr's never going to play again. And he was just, you know, he was, he was trying to make me feel good about coming in and, and getting some right. playing time, but I don't know how Steve did it. You know, back then the technology was not as good as it, as it is now for ACL injuries. Right. He came back. Um, he was better um, than he was even before that, you know, he hadn't really played exclusively the point guard position. Right. Um, and Lute had a number of guys that had not done that. Guys like Reggie Geary that thrived yeah. in it. You know, Steve Kerr thrived in it. Um, I think there was maybe a player or two other, but, you know, he was, you know, he had like 32 turnovers the entire season. It was insane. Right. He shot, you know, he was over 60% at one point in this, in, going into the last game, I think he was over 60% from three. Right. It's insane. But he's a, um, I think ultimately he's just, he's a normal guy. Like, you and I, I mean, even though he has all these amazing sort of magical things, Matt, he's much closer to you than me. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Maybe. I did want to, I did want to get to my next point because that's where I got you mixed up with Sean looking at my notes. So you've got 87, 88. And I've had quite a people, a few people mention this, and I'm going to start probably working on an article about this. If there is a more successful group of people, just in general, in society from a basketball team, I would love to see it. When you've got – we talked about this when we were grabbing a couple beers. You've got Harvey Mason, who's head of the Grammys. <laughs> yeah. You've got yeah. Kenny Lofton, who's a borderline baseball Hall of Famer. you got Sean. you got Steve. You've you know, you got Judd Bushler. you got Tolbert. you got Matt Muehlbach, who is a lawyer, who is a commentator, who is a friend of Mike Luke, a jack of all three trades right there. But when you guys were coming up, that just, just that season right there, Matt, yeah. did you realize, you know, wow, did you have any idea just kind of the special group of people, let alone basketball, that you were dealing with there? You know, honestly, I did. Did um, you? Wow. Yeah, okay. It was, it was weird. Um you know, we started pickup games. I remember, you know, I got here my freshman year. We started pickup games in August. I fell in love with Tucson. The the uh, you know the weather when it was it was it was we had the monsoons. It was crazy monsoons that year. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember we used to go play. Um, we actually were playing at the Tucson. I think it was the not the racket club, but it was like one of the one of the workout places because McHale was under renovation, mm -hmm. and and it wasn't anything. It was fine. You know, everybody was working out. It was good. But for some reason, when we started, um, like just, then we started doing some weights and we started doing other things. Like about a month into it, you could kind of feel it, mm -hmm. and you could feel it building just in the off season. Um, and then we started practice October fifteenth, and by October fifteenth, I had already felt like this kind of like a little bit of magic happening with the team. As of October fifteenth, first day of practice, like for the first two or three weeks, I honestly felt it. Like it felt kind of magical. Right. And I knew it at the time. Like, I'm not saying I could look back and say, oh, now that I look back, no, no, no. I, and I had some really good high school teams, um, some close to that, like in amazing chemistry, but you could feel the magic happening. And then we went, of course, in November 
we went to um to alaska and, mm -hmm. and we kind of shocked great alaska shootout great alaska shootout we shocked the basketball world by beating um, michigan and, and syracuse back to back to win it and it, it like i said i i was not surprised when we won it i don't think anybody else was wow no, for sure for sure okay so getting back then to just you know getting back to just what we're watching then on the on the floor you and i have talked a lot about steph curry um, and you know, and what you're watching in this finals, well, has there, has Steph Curry been a positive for the maturation of basketball players? Because I now see, and you see this question that's asked all the time. And again, Steve Kerr's doing the right thing there because you've got the best shooter of all time, right. but you can see it in AAU games. You can see it at the park kids pulling up from 35 feet now in a three on one fast break. Is right. that, is, is Steph Curry, is Ste the the idea of Steph Curry is that good for basketball? Well, yeah, like on a small level, it's your local LA Fitness. It's horrible because <laughs> sure. said, every time I walk in there, guys are shooting forty footers and, right. and sometimes hitting the side of the backboard or the top of the backboard. But you know, I think it's a great thing because if you remember, oh, real quick, sorry to interrupt you. Did I tell you who I saw at LA Fitness about a week and a half ago? I'm Mike not going to tell the people. What's that? Mike Dickerson. I did. Yeah, that's where I saw him too. And it's funny too because and at he first plays. and he plays. That's the thing. Right. It's so funny. So I'm looking at him, and again, he still stands out because you know physically, Mike D right. looks different than other people. And I'm looking around, and there's a couple other people. Then as I'm because by then, you know, by then I'm just staring at him. I'm not even doing my workout. <laughs> and you see a couple people that are looking around, and they're like, you know, and then. You know, but he's just no, has no clue that anybody's watching him. He's doing his workout, and then he's going in to shoot hoops. But yeah. it, when you brought up LA Fitness, I thought of Mike D. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, that. I've I've seen him there as well. Um, I I lost my train of thought. Where we? Um, uh, we're talking about Steph Curry. Oh yeah, I you know I think back to like the middle to late '90s, right? And it felt like basketball was becoming like really becoming bully ball, yeah. and you know, and and. Everything was based on athleticism, you know, strength, getting to the rim, dunking on guys. And not there's anything wrong with that, but I think, you know, the skill part of it was there was a time where, in fact, they were trying to change the rules because it just right. was it was a it was a mini football game at times. And, um, you know, I think was and then, you know, a lot of the European influence was huge for American basketball because of the skill, the shooting, especially the big men shooting. But I think what Steph's done is great. I think you know, understanding that skilled players can play. Um, you don't have to be, you know, six, eight and, 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 and right. 44 inch vertical. So I think it's been great for that. I think it's brought more players and more people into the game. Right. I think with Steve, now let me ask you this because we're coming up, uh, coming up on time here. How many, how many championships with this group of guys does Steve Kerr, does Steve Kerr end up with? Just looking into the future, oh. just looking into the future. He's got three right now. Could easily get a fourth right here. What uh, if Matt Mulebach and if Matt Mulebach had to look into the future? What would he say for that? I mean, I don't, I don't doubt him, but it's like to to be honest. Like even if you get one more, yeah. it's insanely good. Like think about how good the Suns are and have been at times. They've never won a title. Like, right. Um, oh, trust me, I know. You know, you're an Arizona guy, right? right. We talked about that. I mean, yeah. I thought they were going to win it this year. Yeah. Um, I thought they were going to win it last year. Right. Um, I thought they were going to win it 
a couple times with Steve Nash. I thought they might win it with with Chuck, you know, back right. in the 90s. So, I mean, even even if they win this one, it's almost a Herculean, you know, task that they, mm -hmm. they accomplish. But and I think I the odds are they probably will. But I mean, it's 50 50 at this point now that it's tied up. Right. Um, but if they just win one more, I think it's amazing. Right. I mean, it's, right. again, you got Steph and Clay that are getting older and um, they've got to they've got to build all these guys up somehow sign pool. They still have Wiseman that they're trying to figure out. So I don't know, but if I mean, if I had to, if I had to guess, I'd say maybe, maybe one, maybe two. All right, Matt. I had a message here, and this is something that I have not done a good job of. Can you please talk a little bit about Bruce Frazier? Bruce Frazier is the guy that Arizona fan I think knows of. They know that he played here. They know that he's around Steve Kerr, but it's not a guy that is just you know vintage you know that people remember. Can you just just describe a little bit about Bruce Frazier from his time? Now, granted, he was out of here in 87. I get that. But, you know, just his role with Steve Kerr and how that yeah. friendship, that relationship came about. Well, well, Bruce, his dad was a coach. Um, mm -hmm. His dad actually coached at Long Beach. I think it was Long Beach City College and 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 was friends with Luke. Right. Um, when Luke was out at Marina High School and then Long Beach State. And um, they were pretty good buddies. And he knew about Bruce, recruited him, came to Arizona. Bruce's career he had the talent and the body and everything else to be an all packed in player. Didn't really happen. Um, but he was best buddies with Steve. <clears throat> Bruce was actually the reason I came to Arizona. Like he sealed it for me when I was on my recruiting trip. He was really? a senior. I loved him. He was like the glue that held the team together. Like the funniest guy on the team, you know, a great, great basketball mind, like because of his dad, because of like, he's a smart guy, but Bruce's, a couple of things that he's amazing at is one, he's incredibly observant. He, he, he's one of those guys that doesn't try to tell you how smart he is. And you know, the basketball people that do, right. They oh, try yeah. to prove how smart they are and what they right. know. He's the direct opposite. He doesn't, in fact, he'll purposely not say stuff because um, he likes to watch people, watch things happen. He's incredibly observant. It's almost like his number one skill and he watches everything. He watches people how they react, how they interact, um, how they play, how they coach. And he he's like, for Steve, he's like the eyes and ears of the whole team. He he has a, a pulse on every player. He's one of the guys, like, honestly, like, you can go into a party, a, you know, cocktail or something, and he's like, he can tell you about people right away. Like, I know what that guy's about. Like, right, right. He's very, he, doesn't, he doesn't let guys – the one thing he doesn't do is he does not let guys – you know, blow you away with BS. I mean, it just, it just will not happen. <laughs> right. He, he is not at all intimidated or taken aback by anything. Cause he's like, he's super like watchful about all those guys. And I think, you know, with Steph, what made him avail, what made him amazing was he never once tried to go in and, and prove anything to Steph. Right. He, he built the relationship with him and now he's Steph's guy. Like if yeah. you watch, watch mm -hmm. during the games, where does Steph sit? Right. He sits next to Q. Right. Every game. And, and explain Q, please, because another guy asked me, where did Q? I know where it comes from, but explain that to me. I didn't know it until we actually, you know, we had some drinks, but explain that to me. I guess I wasn't around, but I guess he was asking so many questions that right. his first year at U of A, that I think it was Brock Brunkhorst or mm -hmm. one of the players started calling him Q for question, man. Right. And, and that's how the, that's how it became. And, 
you know, everybody in the NBA knows him as Q. Um, everybody at U of A, everybody associated with him, everyone, they half the people probably don't even know his first name is Bruce. You know what's unfortunate too? He's kind of stuck in that little bit of that era where people know about Pete Williams and Eddie Smith because that got Arizona off the ground. And then there's kind of that year or two, you know, that bridge before you got, you know, before 87, 88, 88, 89, where Arizona really hits the big time. And Bruce is kind of sandwiched, that Bruce is kind of sandwiched right in between both of those eras right there. So, and I think with Arizona fans, yeah. they, they have such a recollection of players and teams, not necessarily yeah. the year, but they remember Damon and Khalid. They remember yeah. Steve and Sean. They remember Pete and Eddie. They don't yeah. necessarily remember years, if that makes any sense. No, I think I think you're right. And he he does he does like bridge so many different kind of gaps there. Right. And I'll tell you, I think I've told you this story, but I have two quick stories. One is I asked him many, many years ago when he was doing an internship for Larry Brown with the with the uh, Pacers. Mm -hmm. I said, hey, who's a guy in the NBA that I don't really think about? I don't want you to tell me Larry Bird or, you know, some all star, but I don't think about who can like light it up and get 40 a night. He thought about it for like five seconds and he's like, Dale Curry. He's like, that's the guy. And I was like, oh, OK. Wow. And then, of course, his son becomes that guy. Yeah. This, I asked him these kind of questions every year. I asked him going into this year, I said, name me a player or two on your team that's going to like surprise people and kind of light it up and they're going to kind of come out. And he goes, he thought about it and he said, Jordan Poole and Otto Porter. And, wow. You know, he he, and, he had it dialed in. And, and that's amazing scouting too, because I watched a lot of Jordan Poole in college, thought he was good. Yep. Thought he could maybe be a nice role player. I didn't think that he'd be an NBA all-star type that, you know, is going right. to possibly prolong this. So the, those are really – and Otto Porter's been around for years. So it's yeah. not like this is some, you know, yeah. unknown guy right. or something. Right. right, right. All right, we're going to get Matt's prediction on the series here before we sign off. But again, the DraftKings Sportsbook app, code word PHNX. You put in five bucks, you get $150 in free plays. You got to be a new customer, though. Game's on at six tonight. All right, Matt. If you were on the DraftKings Sportsbook app, code word PHNX, and you had to say, all right, the series is tied up 1-1. Where am I going with this one? Now, two I think, things. I your think, heart and your mind. I think my I think it's I think they're gonna split in Boston. Mm -hmm. I think they'll win in San Francisco. I think they'll lose in Boston. They'll win in San Francisco for game seven. Oh, and then one other thing I've got to ask. Can you please tell people why Steve Kerr won't ever come back and coach the University of Arizona? I get this asked me once oh. a month, and I keep forgetting to ask you to uh, just elaborate a little bit on this. But so many people say, well, he'll come back to Arizona. No, Matt, you explain. There's like five reasons, right? I mean, uh, uh, the portal, uh, classroom checks, uh recruiting okay. uh i mean he lives hey. a pretty good life right now the guy the guy coaches a couple hours a day deals with a lot of heat if they don't win but if they win they have a lot of fun and that's it then right. he's, he's done for the day like college coaches these days man it is 24 7 every day of the year and the great thing about it too is that he's got the best job security in the world because oh you're no guy who's ever been put on the list of the top 15 coaches of all time is ever going anywhere unless he wants to go anywhere. They've got it going forward in the future. Yeah. I always tell people that, but I, I don't think the average fan realizes that college basketball is far more of a grind when it comes to coaching than actually right. coaching the NBA is. 
Yeah, no, it's it's an absolute grind. The recruiting process, just all the stuff you got to deal with. Young kids. I mean, Steve's dealing with pros, right? They're responsible right. for what they do. They don't, you know, they deal with them on the off the court a tiny bit, but that's not that's not what they deal with. Um, so yeah, he's and how crazy is this? You think of all the Arizona basketball players, and, and I'll ask you this because you have a better grasp on the history. But Steve's a one hundred percent Hall of Famer as a coach. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's three ways you can get into the Hall of Fame as a player, as a coach, and I think for your your um, you're a contributor to basketball. It's the Dick Vitale thing, right? Right. And I think Steve probably makes it on one and on the coach and contributor um, oh. because of all his you know TNT and what he did for the game and GMs and everything. But um, I can't think of another U of A player that's going to go into the Hall of Fame. Can you? Um, no, the only guy that you could possibly see making that case is Iguodala. Is Iguodala. And, yeah. And yeah, that's right. I forgot about Iguodala. I, but, but again, Steve is, and as, as great as Andre's been, Steve is so much, you can't really write the history of basketball without right, talking about Steve Kerr. That's mm-hmm. the best, that's the best way that I can put it. That's you know, with Iggy, yeah. you know, you can way. do that, but, um, yeah, I can't. I can't think of anybody. He's that dude, though, for sure. Matt yeah. Mulebach is that guy as well. Matt, I'm going to text you something when we get off here, though, to ask Bruce Frazier about a player, though. Okay. Um, but Matt, I can't thank you enough for hopping on here. Um, Matt Mulebach, aka Kevin O'Neill. Uh, next time we hang out, uh, next time we hang out, I got some more mind, some more pockets, or uh, got to pick your brain a little bit there. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right, Mike. Thanks, man. All right, Matt. Can't appreciate it. Can't thank you enough. Matt Mulebach. I'm Mike Luke. You've been listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast.